So we're going to have a little bit of fun with the pre-party. Don't forget, it's Spain and Fitz. I'm Jason Fitz with Sarah Spain, and this is what we do. We give you a little bit of exclusive content you can only give on the podcast every single day, and uh, that's part of the fun. That's why you want to rate, subscribe, review, do all that, tell everybody to hang out with us. Uh, and after we're done with the pre-party, you want to check out all of Spain and Fitz. But Sarah, uh, we got a lot to get into uh, that I got to get your opinion on, but I, I want to start with with an opinion about a, a game day language issue. I, I waited here. Sarah has no idea what's coming. So, you I'm know, so I, concerned. I know, I know. I Not to, to nobody's surprise, I'm quite emotional when my beloved Raiders play. Oh, and, you know, we, we were able to buy a house in Connecticut. Congrats. Uh, thank you very much. And I'm aware because uh, I sent mail to the wrong place, and now it's somewhere lost in the system forever. That is spectacular. Uh, now, <laughs> it, it was like putting some roots down, going to be here for a while, so I, I wanted to get that done. And, of course, COVID has made it complicated, so most of the time I'm alone in, you know, Connecticut. So, But we have some doors with little screens, so I can actually open the doors and get some air flowing through the house while I'm watching football, right? So I'm sitting back. I'm watching the Raiders game. All the doors and windows are open because Connecticut gifted us with what felt like a fall day all of a sudden. So it was just, it was like that perfect day where the air is just kissing through the house the right way and you just feel football in the air. But I live next door to a couple that uh, is a little more advanced in life, a former alderman that is that guy. He's that neighbor that like I've, I'm getting a fence put in and every time they come out to measure the fence and, and sort of get all that done, he walks with it the whole way because he knows the regulations and has to make sure that my property <laughs> And he's that guy, right? You know, very nice, but just very particular. And so it, it may or may not have happened early on in the game that I, I, I that a play happened, and I, um, I, I dropped an f bomb, a bomb that we can't say Ooh. here. And I used one of my favorite phrases, which is not appropriate. And it, it basically asked the world if the world enjoys fist planking me. And so I said it really <laughs> loud. And I mean, it, it came out gutturally. Wow. And it, as you know, I, I'm I'm a loud talker anyway, right? So I, I could see the couple next door sitting on their porch and I saw the shock and awe. And then I saw them both walk inside and slam the door shut. So now I don't know, like, am I supposed to address this with my neighbor and go up and be like, hey, Oof. sorry? Or do I just pretend it never happened? Okay, like, first of all, let me just comment on the fact that I was alone yesterday, too. My husband was out of town, so I spent the whole day on the couch. The only person to hear my yells, because my neighbors are far enough away, was uh, my dog. But I don't yell full sentences like that. Who yells full sentences like that alone? I just make weird noises and, ah, oh, no, no. Like, that's it. You you yell the whole sentence. Does the world enjoy fist bleeping me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I go full full sentences. Like oh I have a, I have monologues with my TV. Oh I my mean, that, god. That, that is fair. And okay. So that's weird. Uh, secondarily, especially since they sound like nice people who you have somewhat of a relationship with, since you know a couple facts, I would suggest uh, I don't trust your own baking. So I was gonna say bake some cookies and bring them over, but that's probably not likely to happen. So buy some nice cookies or maybe a little football candy pack for like the weekend and drop it off with a little note that just I am irrationally insane about the Raiders. I apologize for any language that comes from my house on Sundays. You might want to throw on a little smooth jazz for the duration just to cover it up. That is a great, I am going to do that. I will I will send you the picture of the cookies that I get. That is a, 
that is a perfect idea. Just and, get out ahead of it. And and in complete fairness, I mean, this has been several years ago, but when the Raiders in Derek Carr's rookie year, when they started 0-10 and they finally got a win against the Chiefs, and it was this big dramatic, they had to play the last play like 15 times. I did the same thing at the time. The doors, uh, the windows were closed. I was in Nashville. But I yelled so emphatically at my TV that Charlie, or, or at the time he was a very small dog, Charlie just started peeing all over the house. He couldn't handle it at all. He thought Aww. I was he thought I was very upset. So I, I yeah, I, I, I realize it that it goes it, it's it's just the passion of the moment. I can't really I should contain it. I don't You really should though. I remember one time I had an unfortunate series of events that involved me going to a wedding, getting hammered, ended up at a late night bar seeing friends who were visiting from out of town. Losing my phone, Brad biked his way five blocks back to the bar at like 3.30 in the morning to see if it was there. Wasn't there. The next day, couldn't call my sister. It was raining to tell her that we were going to be late to dinner. Offered to take my neighbor's dog for a walk while she was gone. My umbrella flipped inside out while it was raining and ripped, so I went to throw it out and accidentally threw my neighbor's keys down the garbage chute with the umbrella, and her dog was therefore locked in her apartment, and she wasn't returning to the next day, so no one else could get in there and walk it. So then Brad had to climb into the dumpster from the 16th floor of the building to see if he could find the keys, but he couldn't even find the giant umbrella, which tells you that wasn't going to happen. So I had to get a locksmith to come to the house at like 11 p.m. on a Sunday night. He said it would be easy. It took two and a half hours, and and then I had to buy an iTunes gift card for everyone on the floor with a sorry for the noise note. And that's how that went. That is, okay, that is <laughs> remarkable. And I found the phone in my closet three months later. That night when I was drunk, I had had it with me. I accidentally slipped behind the closet and onto the floor in the back of a pile of clothes. And three months later when I was cleaning it out, I was like, oh my gosh, a phone. What's this? from? Oh, uh, look, I am so shook by every like the fact that Brad got on a bike and went back to the bar oh, too, like super the husband, best. right? And then there. climbed through a dumpster. It was back to back nights. I was really nailing it that weekend. I will ask your and opinion. And by it, I mean the bottle. Uh, yeah, I, I'll ask your opinion on another neighborhood issue uh, because, as you know, I have a massive Halloween display, but not in Connecticut yet. Like I'm, mm. I'm waiting. I'm going to because I'm, I'm smart with this stuff. I'm going to wait till after Halloween this year, start acquiring pieces when they're cheaper, and then start it's building for. But I, I had this moment on Sunday morning before football uh, kicked off when I was uh, outside my house, and I saw that the neighbor directly across the street where I want to build zombies that look like they're coming over the fence, I saw the neighbor with the <laughs> cutest, like the cutest remote control car with her, like obviously maybe two-year-old in the car that they were just driving around the lawn, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I, the, the, a, a zombie scene will terrorize mm. this adorable little mm-hmm. girl in a Barbie car. I, I don't know what to do. My neighbors are going to hate me within the next 12 months. I'm going to need all your help. I'm going to say, yeah, that's another one that you're probably going to have to get out ahead of. I would say maybe this year, even if you hadn't planned on it, you might need to do a small understated display, sort of like a little bit of a boop. Boop. Like, hey, I'm right over here. Boop. And then next year when you beat them over the head, they'll be like, well, we did get booped earlier. We should have seen this coming. Every once in a while, a kid in Nashville will cry when they go through it because they get scared. And I'm usually pretty good about taking like the mask off and being like, hey, buddy, like it's going to be okay. And walk them through. I'm good with kids. So the other, like I was thinking maybe if I do build something big next year, I might just invite all of the neighbor to, neighbors to bring their kids and we'll just walk them through it so we can explain that yeah, this is not Yeah, that's a really real, good idea you know? to have like a little fun kid 
kids day, but it's going to have to be pretty soon after you start setting it up because if, if you start with like just a couple stray zombies climbing over a fence with no explanation, that might be a problem. Yeah, I'm going to spend my winter learning how to build my own animatronics so they can look like they're walking. Oh, that is my, my that's my plan. Lord. Okay. So the other thing from Sunday that really stood out to me were some uh, slick uh, what what do the kids call it? Drip now. That's like the the slick new jerseys, the drip that the players were wearing. <laughs> I love making Nailed that it. awkward. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, let me say, though, I was I had very opposite reactions from a lot of people. Uh, this is going to be a trash take, probably. But Rams, better than Chargers on the new uniforms. I just, I said it. Ooh, interesting. Okay, yeah. so you're going oppo because most people do not agree with you on that. I'm going to say something a little controversial that I have not yet heard anyone say, and that is, I like both of them. Oh. I really do. I think they both look good. I really like the blue color of the Rams. I think it looks badass. But I also think that the Chargers with the bolts always look cool. I'm down with both, except, and we've all been over this a million times. I've talked about it on the show. I just talked about it on Twitter. That one logo of the Rams, despite me thinking it is very cool, once I saw the penis in it, I can't not see it. And now I always see a penis, and that's going to be a problem for me. In, in the Rams logo... Okay, so the logo. Can the I Rams, Google this? On, I'm I'm at yeah. work. Can I Google yeah, this on work? Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Rams yeah. logo. I'll just yeah. type the so word. The I'll new, just type a P and see what happens. Sort of the new sort of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I don't know whether you got the actual. Oh logo my or god! The one you where are they so accentuated right. It. It's an upside down PP. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, maybe you know when they go on a run, maybe you flip the logo upside down, and then it's excited about success. Either way, I'm just saying that there is a version where they've stenciled in some added shading in places, and they make it real clear. But once you've seen that version, you can't go back. Like the the real logo, it's too late. It's 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 tainted forever. Um, and so I like it. I think it's like cool and modern looking. But it, it's always going to be a penis. I I just hope you know they they clip some moments from this sometimes that they play all over ESPN Radio to show the world what we bring on the podcast. I hope someday I'm walking through the halls and I just hear my voice rejoicing in the background as I scream, "It's an upside down peepee." This is what you only get <laughs> on the, the Rams no no places. Isn't uh, that what you usually yeah, say? Yeah, I should have gone with no no places. <laughs> Stosh, producer extraordinaire, would have would have really preferred that. He's thinking, "My God, I've got a lot of work ahead of me to clean up." the absolute horse pile of manure that they are handing me now from a podcast. So uh, uh, then what else? You you had something else going on this weekend oh, too, right? The only th- yeah. So listen, I was planning on taking a quick break from football, and it was going to take a lot for me to step away from the smorgasbord of football that was yesterday and how happy I was to be sitting in it. But the Princess Bride did a once- only not re-airing, not being saved, can't watch it again, reunion with all of the cast plus some other cast members. They did it to raise money uh, for Wisdoms, and they nailed it. I mean, I was like, let me just click on this. If I get bored, I'll always go back to football. Within the first 10 minutes where they read the script, including uh, Reitman, the younger Reitman, reading all of the cues from the original William Goldman script describing, like, this is a sword fight. It's the second best sword fight you've ever seen in a film. The first best comes later in this movie. Like, all these things that are setting up the scenes. The actors were so into it. Mandy Patinkin had his sword from the performance as Inigo Montoya. Billy Crystal decorated his house so the back of his Zoom looked like Miracle Max cave. He was wearing the actual hat that he wore in the movie. Everyone was so invested in it. The kid from Stranger Things played the Fred Savage part, which was a little weird at the beginning because said, anyone who's still alive is here. And then we were all like, did Fred Savage die? 
Turns out he's fine. Just wasn't in it. There were a couple people that weren't in it. But for the most part, everyone from the cast was in it. Several hundred thousand or a hundred thousand plus people were watching. They did an awesome Q&A telling all these stories about partying with Andre the Giant and what a nice guy he was. Now he could drink six bottles of wine at lunch and be perfectly fine. It was so joyful and it made my heart so happy. And I want that for everyone to like have one of their favorite things. Like the, the, the fact that I've seen the movie enough times that Josh Gad, who was playing Andre the Giant, said when he comes to the window with the three white horses at the end, Inigo, and I was like, oh, that's too bad because the way Andre the Giant's character said it was actually Inigo. That told me I had seen the movie too many times when I remember the exact pronunciations, but it was like magical, and I, I want every movie from my childhood, not every movie, all the movies from my childhood that I love the most to do it. I mean, A, I'm shook that this happened. I had no idea. I need to actually get my head out of sports at some point and, and pay attention uh, because uh, it, an incredible movie. And like, we had a group thread going, how'd you not tell us all, Sarah? I thought you would have seen it. I posted it on my Twitter and my Facebook and my Instagram several times before it happened. And then once it started, I posted in case people wanted to join. But also I took many videos, so I will send them to you so you can give a little taste. So true story. I am, uh, as opposed to the fake ones, I, uh, I'm watching these games. <laughs> Most on, of what you say. Is a lie. I, I'm, Liar! The, Liar! The results are in, and that is a lie. Uh, so to blame. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I, you know, I'm watching at home. Uh, I'm streaming. That's how I'm watching these. Like I, I, I'm streaming from. Uh, from an app so like the the way I'm watching the games sometimes can be delayed by a minute or two because it just takes a little time like a lot of times if I'm watching a game on Hulu I learned this during the Super Bowl I'm watching on Hulu because that's what, what I use right all of a sudden I'll, I'll look on social media and I'm like oh I'll see that play in two minutes like it, it delays everything <laughs> so during You're the game you almost as bad as Zubin yeah, who I, said he watches one game at a time on regular ABC CBS and Fox I'm like what year is it Zubin get well, it together Zubin and I need to have a conversation you guys about need that. to chat uh, but the, a lot of times because I'm watching on uh, Hulu or even as I'm streaming from the NFL Sunday Ticket app, there's a delay. So I have found that what I do is I only go to social media when a game starts. I only go to social media during long timeouts so that I know that I don't see anything like halftime and a quarter is like big, like r instant replay review, stuff like that. I'll go in. But the rest of the time, you know, I, I, I have to be very selective about going to social media on Sundays because I'm afraid I'll see something and then Liar! it'll blow the whole game. Liar! There you Liar. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he man. clearly said to blave. Oh, wow. Um. Anyway, I will send over some clips because you missed it. Also, perhaps you should just have yourself alerted each time I post to any of the major social media apps because I can't imagine you would want to miss out on any of my witty bon mot. Yeah, I am also a weird person that has turned off every notification on my phone. My phone never buzzes. How do you like that? Like I have, I have, oh, I we tried keep finding these differences. I tried. I radio thought, husband. You know, I thought <laughs> we're growing on, apart. I, I know. I thought on Sunday, I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn notifications on on my text because, like, I'm going to be more involved on Sundays, right? So I'm going to turn notifications on. That's overwhelming. Like I don't need it. <laughs> every three seconds while I'm watching a football game, Sarah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, all I'm right. very selective with my notifications, but uh, I'm not selective with the amount of time I spend on the internet. It is entirely too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. Oh, it's never a problem to spend time listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Remember, every single day we give you exclusive stuff you only get here. So be sure to tell everybody you've ever met in your life, even total strangers. Like, if you just want to pull over on the side of the road and be like, hey, Spain and Fitz podcast, you should check it out. We yeah, would appreciate safely, it. you know, don't cause any traffic issues. Yeah, no, no, pull over safely. I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably a good call. And uh, also, while you're at it, rate, review, subscribe. If you could do all those things for us, we'd appreciate it. In the meantime, stick around and check out the rest of the podcast because tonight was this pretty 
particularly swimmingly good version of Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Fitz, we were super pumped enough before anything even went down, and then we got comeback wins, first victories in new cities, baseball things happened in the midst of all of this. Um, I am spent, but Uh, yet still energetic. I'm going to give our show a a little shout-out, because, you know, I've been working here for a few years now, and, uh, you know, every Sunday's a little different. This Sunday, we had a whole group thread going. We were all having, like, a kumbaya session, to your point. My whole neighborhood learned new words that are fun and fancy that can't be spoken on air, and we went through sort of the ups and downs together. So early on, Sarah, I was very happy for myself and very worried for you as the Raiders started hot and the Bears started (laughs) cold. And then as uh, the—and I noticed, like, in the beginning— you weren't as chatty. I was more chatty. By the end, you were chatting more, and I was completely shut off to the world because I was stressed at a level that is not appropriate. Uh, but it all worked out in the end, and I'm a little, uh, I'm, I'm a little stunned. I'm a little flabbergasted that we all, other than Mitchell, came out on the right side of this. But it feels good, and it just felt good to have normal feelings of watching football on a Sunday. Yeah, normal feelings, I guess, would probably describe what happened in that Bears-Lions game. The Lions lions and the Bears left with a win, but like, eh, what do we really have here? Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more because I'm still uncertain, but it is funny. We were uh, we had a little show text thread going down, and, uh, and, you know, happy for you fits, and week one win, well done. And then, you know, I wrote, are you watching my terrible team? <laughs> and they're like, you, yeah, you got a shot. I'm like, you're late. Wait for it. Wait for it. You're winning. You're winning. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, so it was just a fun, fun back and forth. And by the way, we were winning, and it was like literally down to the last second because, as I mentioned, not just did the Bears win, but the Lions lost. And this is how it sounded as the winning Touchdown was falling through the hands of Swift. Stafford's got it. Three-man rush for Chicago. Stafford loads and throws. Hands yes! Up. Caught! No, oh! he dropped it on you. No! No! DeAndre Swift dropped it. It was a touchdown in his hands. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no! Sarah, oh, that, that... what a week one perfect, perfect, perfect goal for the Lions. It, it felt, you know, they were more uh, professional than I would have imagined in that moment. <laughs> there, there's this <laughs> this heartbreaking, because DeAndre Swift, I, I think, has the ability to be a great player in the NFL. And when I saw him wide open, I thought, man, what it, like your mind immediately goes to, what a great moment for this kid in his first game. He's a rookie. He's going to show the world what impact he's going to make. The Lions are going to prove Mina and Orlovsky, right? All of this goes through, and then you just watch it slip through his hands. And it's like, mm. how did that happen? How did you go from being so good at Georgia just? <laughs> by moving and changing your uniform on you forget how to football yeah he was just so excited ready to turn into the end zone and celebrate or make sure he got his feet in or whatever and he forgot to make the catch first i feel bad for the kid i hope he gets some early redemption because you carry that one for sure by the way lions had the lead in the fourth quarter in 10 games last year and were tied in one other game they were three seven and one in those games their seven blown fourth quarter leads last year and their 10 since 2018 are both most in the league. They had a 98.3% chance of winning with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. And uh, once again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory are the Detroit Lions. So I am recovering from that. Okay. Mitchell Trubisky lays an egg and then somehow throws three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And I'm left like, man, what's happening? And I'm still recovering. And I start to see those messages that we all see. If you stepped away from the Cubs game, you might want to go back and check it out just in case. Shh, I'm not going to say why, but are you watching? 
I go over in the midst of this football orgasm to see what's going on in the Cubs, just in case it's worth it, and this happens. Let's see if he can come back and get Peterson. The 3-1 pitch on the way. A swing and a ground ball toward the middle. Baez has it, throws to first. Alec Mills has just pitched a no-hitter. A no-hitter for Cubs right-hander Alec Mills. A ground ball to Baez, a routine play. The Cubs are mobbing the young right-hander on the mound, jumping up and down. What a great moment for Alec Mills as the Cubs win the ball game 12 to nothing. Ah, the soothing sounds of Pat Hughes from the Cubs radio network. That swift play-by-play, by the way, was from the Detroit Lions radio network. Fitz, Alec Mills, okay, college walk-on, cut by the Royals, just his 15th career start, has never even thrown a complete game, never gone nine innings, and he throws a no-hitter. Like, what's happening in this sports-crazy equinox? Wait, 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 wait. If you, as a fan, get to see a no-hitter on the same day that Mitchell Trubisky suddenly <laughs> becomes, like, the next great quarterback and just in the last few minutes of a game, like, do you not go outside for the rest of see 2020? are flying, just make sure I'm still alive. I mean, or do you do the opposite? <laughs> like, maybe you run and buy a bunch of scratch-off lottery tickets, like, right away, because you're having that kind of luck. I don't know what you do at that point. Yeah, it was a day, man. It was a day, and I had my giant pot of chili. I didn't leave my couch. I enjoyed all the football. We're going to get into some of the uh, the specifics fits of how it was different or the same from what we're used to uh but but let's get into a couple a couple teams that i think didn't get nearly enough conversation on this overreaction monday we're gonna get into some very hot takes a little bit later but two teams we didn't talk about maybe as much because of their opponents or because of the uh hotter takes going on um one of them is the saints so much focus on tom brady and and gronk and, and that new look bucks team not as many people talking about the saints coming out and once again putting together a team that's won three straight divisions and looks good to go again. Yeah, and I think that was my big takeaway. We're so consumed with Brady that we just forgot along the way that obviously the Saints are still the best team in the NFC to me, and uh, they did it on a day where, frankly, they didn't always get their best in some ways, and they were still able to go out and dominate. I mean, Michael Thomas only had three catches, and they didn't get a run game going the way that they can sometimes, and they were still so dominant to me. I, they were clearly better than Tampa Bay. So I walk away from it saying even on their uh, on a day where they're not their best, the Saints can go out and kick your butt. Like that. Does, that's not an encouraging sign for the rest of their division or the NFC. I mostly agree with you. And I think continuity, as we've talked about all along, is going to be so key for these teams, and they are going to enjoy that all season long. That being said, I looked at some of what happened in that game, and it had me wondering if it's sustainable against teams that are not the Bucks, who are going to be a step behind for at least the first couple weeks, getting used to a new offense and a new quarterback and everything else. You look at stats on Breeze yard per complete yards per completion. And he averaged just 4.1 in the air on Sunday. So it's uh, it's a question mark about the strength of that arm and his ability to go downfield. They were incredibly conservative in this game plan. Is that merely because let's let, let's let them make the mistakes? Or is that something that we need to keep an eye on in terms of Breeze's ability to, to get the long balls and to really push defenses and spread them out? Uh, it just – he described his own play as awful, right? Now – this is Drew Brees' standards, right? So that's that's pretty high. But he didn't he he completed just sixty percent of his passes. And there's this stat that I heard of Bill Barnwell talking about on ESPN Daily CPOE. It's completion percentage over expectation. His was eight point eight percent below what would have been an average performance. So the third worst mark of any quarterback in Week One. So I'm just looking at some of the things we expect out of Drew Brees 
And I'm wondering if we're going to start to see that cliff that some of the older guys fall off of and if it's going to matter a lot more against teams that are a little bit more ready to go than the Bucs were on Sunday. All fair points. I wonder, though, how much the high ankle sprain of Michael Thomas affected that because we Mm -hmm. all know that he's sort of the one weapon and Emmanuel Sanders is still so new to getting timing down. I'm not sure they had enough trust or uh, understanding there of where else to go. So we always say, how is it that Michael Thomas gets his when everybody knows that they're going to Michael Thomas? I wonder what they're going to do when if there's a spot where they don't have Michael Thomas to go to. We may have seen his true value to that offense in that game. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on an overreaction Monday after week one of NFL football on ESPN Radio. The other team, quickly, I want to talk about the Bills. The Jets are so bad, and they're so embarrassing, and their coach is already on the hot seat. And I'm so sorry, Mitchell, because this is twice in the same segment that we've just reminded you that everybody else got a W this week. Everyone had a great Sunday, and by result, a great Monday. And here you are just staring another lost season right in the face. I'm so sorry. But on that note, Fitz, 27-17 to win for the Bills. Josh Josh Allen, couple missteps, couple of those moments where you're like, what are you doing, kiddo? And then in the end, 312 yards, uh, three touchdowns, put together a nice game. Are the Bills good or are the Jets just that bad? A combination of both. I I mean, I don't understand how Adam Gase ever got the job in the first place, nonetheless, why he still has it. And I think that they're, but we have to remember that the Dolphins spent a lot of money to be good on the defensive side of the ball, particularly Josh Allen made them look like they are not good on the defensive side of the ball. The, The Bills have a ton of weapons. My only question was, who's Josh Allen coming into the season? And he looked great. So, you know, I walk away from it saying if I thought the Bills were a 10-11 win team, which I did coming in, nothing I saw yesterday makes me rethink that. And if anything, I'm looking at it saying, hey, it might be time just to give the Bills a little more respect. I agree, but yeah, I got to look over at the Patriots and see what they're going to do. We'll get into that next. Brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Coming up, front end of the Monday Night Football doubleheader kicking off momentarily. We'll get you ready for that, but also good take or hot take, and that's certainly going to include Cam and those Pats. It's next on ESPN Radio. I think we need to, since it's an overreaction Monday, the first Monday uh, after the first big Sunday of of NFL, uh, we need to do good take, hot take. So how this works is we offer up a take uh, that's been given uh, based on yesterday's performances, and we decide if that sounds like a good take that will sustain beyond this overreaction Monday or a hot take that is likely to uh, to fizzle out. And I want to start in a pretty obvious place. Tom Brady leaves his beloved coach, or at least a uh, partner in success crime, Bill Belichick, goes down to the Bucks, and they get a loss. He throws a pick six. He ends up becoming part of a, a unfortunate statistic wherein he is now, I think it is uh, three or four straight games throwing, uh, sorry, yeah, three straight games with pick sixes thrown for Tom Brady. Ian O'Connor started his article. He packed up his trophies, his, his everything else, blah, blah, blah. Too bad he couldn't bring his favorite division with him. That is scalding. Wow. Are we into, are we into Tom Brady just isn't the same guy if he's not on the Patriots? I don't know that I'm into Tom Brady's not the same guy. Uh, I believe that Tom Brady will be just fine. Uh, I will say this. So that's a hot take. Is that a hot take? That feels like a hot take. Am I a hot take? You're a good take. You're saying it's a hot take that he's not the same guy. Yes, I'm saying it's a hot take. Yeah, uh, it's a hot take. Uh, Look, look, I was a little surprised that Bruce Arians uh, hadn't adjusted a little more to the offense to do what he's capable of doing. And Gronk, obviously, is going to be non-existent if if week one was any sort of indication. So there's going to be some adjusting to do. But Brady's just too good for me not to think that he's going to adjust. So, yeah, that's a hot take. I think uh, what you said is perfect. If if week one is any sort of indication for me, there is so much more time needed to see what's going to happen with this team with Gronk, who was out of football, and obviously with Tom Brady, who is learning a new offense for the first time. You know, two decades in the same place. 
Uh, I think time is going to be very necessary to getting this Tampa Bay team together. And Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, was on KJ and Z this morning and seemed to agree. There were some things that was like the old Tom Brady, great anticipation, great placement early on, especially I thought he looked comfortable. But on the two interceptions, there were two mistakes. One was a physical one, the pick six to Janoris Jenkins. He just underthrew the out route. He was late getting the ball out. And then on the interception to Mike Evans, if I was a Buccaneer fan, I'm actually encouraged by it. They saw things differently. Evans broke the route off. It looked like he thought it was zone coverage. Brady thought he was going to take it more vertical. Those things will be cleaned up. We got to remember, this is the first inning for Tampa Bay. They had never been on the field before in a competitive situation. So some good, some bad. But my glass is half full because it's Tom Brady. And that burning desire to win was pretty evident. Interesting he said that, Fitz, because one thing Arians did say is I'd like to see and I expect to see more grit and determination the next time around. That is not something you hear about Tom Brady in a game situation. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's hard for me because we're saying that, but in the beginning they were all talking about his reaction after the first touchdown. And, I mean, you think about the, the way the game started versus the way the game ended. That was such a theme out of week one, right? Like, it felt like he had all that grit and determination when he was calling his own number likely to quarterback sneak in right. for a touchdown, you know. But later in the game it's like, ah, they need to find that next level. I, it's all going to normalize and be fine because they're too talented, and I believe Bruce Arians is too good of a coach for it not to come together. But I feel a little better about my decision not to include them in my playoff picks. I was going to say, uh, we'll see what happens. I have them as a wild card, and you have not selected them as a playoff team. Plenty of time yet for the Bucks. Uh, we'll see uh, as the weeks go on if they start to gel a little bit more. I anticipate that being the case. On the other side of that Patriots uh, um, sort of situation is the actual Patriots, his former team with their new quarterback, Cam Newton. 15 runs on the day, 75 yards, a totally different style for this Patriots team fits this. Uh, there was a couple examples where you saw Cam in a shotgun, James White to his right, and those defensive players have to decide, do we respect that Cam could run and stay put, allowing a little bit more freedom for the run game in White, or do we chase White, allowing the holes that Cam Newton could take advantage of? And that kind of a play and that kind of um, uh, freedom with the run game was not existent with Brady. There was no threat of a run there. And so using Cam in that way... Um, was a, a very clear departure and kind of new fun toy for McDaniels. Uh, many people believe that this is a team destined for the postseason and that this was just the, the, the thing you needed to know about Cam was that he was healthy enough to do what he did yesterday and the sky's the limit for the Patriots. Is that a hot take that people are already really hot on this New England team? Do you think they'll come down to earth? I think that's a hot take. I think they're going to come down to earth because nobody knew what to expect. We didn't know whether Cam was healthy, but we also didn't know what Josh McDaniel's offense would look like with Cam. The more film they get on it, the more, as always, there's going to have to be an evolution to all of that. I think that eventually they'll catch up over the course of this early part of the season. And, uh, you know, at, at some point, remember, Newton only passed 19 times in that game. I don't think that's sustainable. So I think a, a defenses will adjust and adapt, and he'll have to get better at the rest of it. Well, uh, Dan Orlovsky, ESPN football analyst that was on KJ and Z this morning, seemed to agree with you that that kind of style, at least that game plan, is not sustainable for the Patriots. 15 carries is not going to last, guys. He will not last. 15 carries, 13 designed runs. There's already conversations or rumors that you're hearing that there's a hamstring injury, so I just, it won't last. It's not sustainable. So Cam looked good. They're going to have to figure out ways to get way more explosive on offense because they're not explosive, and that's my biggest issue. But that was a really good start for Cam in that offense. 
So I agree with all of you. It's not sustainable. In fact, that 13 designed runs was the most of his career. And we're talking about game one after a lengthy injury break when he hadn't won a start in what was it, you know, eight or nine starts. So, yeah, it was a little surprising. I have the Patriots as a wild card team. I don't think they're going to just settle in. I think this is going to be a good team. And I needed to get a look at Cam to see that you, once again, do not have them in the playoffs. So we, uh, we've got some good... Good teams to argue over early that are either uh, giving you giving you uh, feel goods about your predictions or otherwise. Uh, another hot take that's out there is about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. If you want to read it this way, you could sure read Rodgers' performance as a, a little bit full of spite to prove that it's not yet love's turn. But the question was, does he have any weapons? And a lot of people saying, take a look at the numbers he put up yesterday. Weapons will not be an issue for Rodgers. Is it too early to say that? A little bit of a hot take? Uh, yeah, it's way too early to say that weapons won't be an issue uh, for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, because that forgets the fact that Aaron Rodgers has played well uh, in the past. I mean, uh, weapons were certainly an issue last year, right? And uh, I certainly remember in the Raiders game when he went 25 at 31 for over 400 yards and five touchdowns. So you can do it once, but you got to have weapons to do it consistently. Yeah, I think I looked at that game, and fantasy-wise, I was happy with Devontae Adams doing what he did. I bet you were. But, but you look at the box score, and you say, okay, 17 targets for Adams. The next most was six for Aaron Jones and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. If you're a team in the future and you see that that's Aaron Rodgers' favorite toy, and you decide we're only going to focus on shutting down Devontae Adams, then those other weapons have to step up, and that's fits, I think, where you see whether the, they can find the same success. You're right. Aaron Rodgers can do a lot with a little, but in terms of really long-term contention – He's going to need to make sure he's got enough guys to go to, not just Devontae Adams dominating. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Giants are up, by the way, 3-0 on Pittsburgh. Uh, Steelers muffed a punt return and set them up to score. Coming up, we'll talk to someone very familiar with Brady and Belichick about this year. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain were presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, we were just talking a minute ago about, obviously, all of the conversation that happened. And we knew it was going to happen after one game when you talk about Brady and Belichick and what they look like when they're not together anymore. What's it mean for both sides of it? Well, uh, we're going to head over to the Shell Benzo Performance Line, where we're joined now by author Jeff Benedict. He joins us there. He's the author of the book, The Dynasty, which focuses on the Patriots' dynasty. So he'll have a plenty to say about both sides of that equation. So, Jeff, we appreciate your time. Walk me through this. you got unprecedented access to this team. So when you dissect everything from the dynasty overall what was the most difficult part of putting this book together uh, I think probably just the fact that it's such a big story that spans so much time it's a it's a 25 year period 20 years of which is the you know the winning part with Belichick and Brady and uh, there just hasn't been a football franchise that's won as much as this team and and there's been so many players that have passed through the doors in the last 20 years. So I think the biggest challenge was just figuring out how to sort of how to put this whole story together. I'm looking at some of the highlights that you were able to get inside information or even be uh, around and reporting on, including, you know, the information from the emergency room when Drew Brees, uh, sorry, Drew Bledsoe's chest is filling up with blood after a lacerated artery getting inside uh, the room with the owners and the players as they're trying to figure out how to handle Colin Kaepernick's protest and everything else. Of all those moments that you detail in the book, what was most surprising to you or do you think maybe will surprise others that hasn't been talked about as much as you'd expect? Uh, I mean, I think I, I tried to interview as many people as I could for this book that have never spoken before. So people like Coach Belichick and Tom Brady and even to a certain extent, Robert Kraft, 
I think their role has been somewhat obvious in the last 20 years of the dynasty, but there's a lot of other people who've been involved in this thing. And you mentioned the, the hospital scene with Drew Bledsoe. There's also a similar medical scene. It's not as serious, but a scene towards the end of the story where Tom Brady has a, a lacerated hand uh, right before the AFC championship game. And it was way worse than had been reported or portrayed at the time. And in both in that instance and in the emergency room with Bledsoe, I thought it would be really useful to be able to try to see both of those things through the eyes of the surgeons who were working on the quarterbacks. And that's a different perspective for a reader and whether you're a Patriots fan or not to see how in Bledsoe's case, how close he came to dying, uh, which really wasn't appreciated or understood at the, at the time. But just the other thing being that it, it wasn't known that coach Belichick, Tom Brady and Robert Kraft were actually in the hospital with Bledsoe when he woke up, which presented a pretty dramatic moment because at that time, you know, Brady had never started a game and Belichick still had a losing record at that point. And Kraft hadn't won any championships as the owner. So Bledsoe was really looking up at the nucleus of the greatest sports dynasty of our time. But in that moment, nobody would have imagined something like that. We're talking to Jeff Benedict, author of The Dynasty, a new book on the New England Patriots. And it covers a long span, like you mentioned, but you just mentioned some of the dominance that they've had. So uh, we always hear about the Patriot way. What did you discover in researching this book changed so dramatically from who the Patriots were then to who the Patriots are now? I mean, it starts with with ownership and the the immediate change that started to uh, evolve in Foxborough once Kraft bought the team in the early 90s. And then things, obviously, there's a period of immense friction and discord between Kraft and Parcells in those early years. But I think those are really important formative years to set the stage for Belichick's arrival. And the relationship that Kraft has with Belichick is very different than the one that Kraft had with Parcells. And I think the other thing is just when you talk about the Patriot way, what's what's really interesting to me is the difference in Brady and Belichick. They're very different guys. They weren't close off the field. Despite winning all those championships in 20 years, they they didn't have an off-the-field relationship that you might expect. And I think what's really unusual is the fact that they stayed together for 20 years despite not having a connection off the field. And the role of the owner is really instrumental in that part. It's the invisible part, I think, of the Patriots formula for success. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to the author of The Dynasty, Jeff Benedict, New York Times bestselling author. It's all about the New England Patriots and the family who has guided them to success and also controversy. And I'm curious how you handled some of the controversies the team has gone through, stuff like Spygate and the cheating scandals, Robert Kraft's arrest. How is that handled in the book? So uh, to me, there were there were really sort of three chapters in this dynasty that are, well, one would be was Spygate, which happened in 07. And then you have the Aaron Hernandez situation, uh, which really spans more than a year's time. And then after Hernandez, you have Deflategate. Uh, and, I, and Deflategate obviously stretched out longer than, than the Spygate situation or the Hernandez situation. But the fact that this organization and this trio of Kraft, Belichick, and Brady went through three sort of monumental ordeals that I think any other franchise, just one of those ordeals <laughs> would have been considered 
you know, quite significant. But with this team, there's three of them for the same personnel to go through. And I, I went in depth to all three of those because they're all different in, in, in nature and, and in outcome, but they also all had a significant influence and in shaping of the team, uh, starting with Spygate. Spygate was the first time that really the, the league or the rest of the country looked at the Patriots in a real negative light. At that time, they'd won three Super Bowls in four years, and they'd had, you know, they, that year of Spygate, they also had a perfect regular season. And so there was, a lot, there was a fair amount of envy and jealousy that was developing by then, and then having the team get caught filming the Jets during the first game of that season really, you know, just changed a lot of people's perceptions about the organization. And that's something that obviously stayed with them all the way through until you got to Deflategate, which was seven years or eight years later. Um, but I, the point is, as I get into all of them, because I think it's important in, in helping under, that's, that's a critical part of the dynasty. So much of the conversation about the Patriots this year is what they're going to look like without the marriage of Brady and Belichick. Before we let you go, Jeff, when you looked at this, having spent so much time looking at their past, what do you think's next for the organization specifically and their ability to sustain it without that partnership? Well, I mean, Newton, the, the selection of Cam Newton is so um, consistent with the kind of personnel moves that Coach Belichick has made over the years. He's done an amazing job of bringing in players that have been let go, discarded, uh, passed over by by their team, whether it was Corey Dillon, Rodney Harrison, I mean, Randy Moss. There's this great string of players that have come in there. Newton fits into that perfectly. He had a great start in his first game. He's, he's you know, he looked great uh, in the opener. And I think that, uh, you know, time will tell. It's a long season, but this is just another example of Belichick finding a player that, that was out there that anybody else could have gone after, but no one else did. He brings him in, puts him in a position, and it looks like the Patriots might have found like an ideal person to, to come in and play quarterback this year when six months ago that looked like that, that just was the kind of thing that wasn't going to happen. We appreciate your time, Jeff. You guys can check the book out on Amazon or wherever you get your books. The Dynasty, uh, the hardcover editions out there uh, available right now for you on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. Jeff Benedict, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Coming up, we're going to give a little bit of praise to some people and we're going to give a little bit of shame to some fans and some particular teams. We're going to do all that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain. Don't forget to listen to ESPN Audio at home with your smart speaker, ESPN Audio at home, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Vans. Drive a Mercedes-Benz van. Find out how far an extra mile really goes. From customization and service to financial assistance, Mercedes-Benz Vans are ready for anything. We're ready for anything now, Sarah, as we continue to sort of wrap up some of the best of week one. By the way, the first game of the Monday Night Football doubleheader tonight has come to the end of the first quarter. It is tied 3-3 three to three between the Giants and Steelers. We will keep you updated on that. But in the meantime, going to have a little bit of fun and uh, and sort of help everybody praise or share in misery. Either way, you can go either way, Sarah. We're going to bring something new to the show that we're calling Walk of Shame, Stake Disclaim. So, it can go either way. You can 
send somebody down the walk of shame, which is the moment that maybe uh, we relate with some fans and we hang out and we tell some of our uh, our least favorite moments, some uh, some moments that should be full of shame from week one, or fans can get in on the fun too. And then uh, stake this claim can be the opportunity for the opposite. Come out and really plant your flag and say, we're going to be great. Are we ready for this, Sarah? You feel good about this? We are ready to rip some people and exalt others. I like that. So why don't uh, we'll let you go first? And by the way, we're going to tweet it out. You can tweet us. Tell us who's on your walk of shame at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. Uh, this is a good time to get it off your chest. If your favorite team, I don't know, lost at the very end of the game and you feel like crying, you can do it on Twitter. We'll read some of the best tweets on air. Sarah, uh, you want to start with uh, some shame? I want to start start with a little bit of a a walk of shame moment for us. All right. Well, I mean, I could have chosen the Jets again, but I think we've given them. <laughs> enough tonight and they gave their fans more than enough to work with so I'm turning instead to another team that has its fans constantly holding their faces in their hands and that is of course the Browns who insisted on once again Brownsing and the target of my ire not one make it or break field which is what my husband's trying to get started from Baker Mayfield which I'm not really a fan (laughs) but keep trying honey not Baker Mayfield although he could just as easily have ended up doing the walk of shame instead I'm going to go with Odell Beckham Jr. Here's why. He was targeted a game high 10 times, but he caught only three passes for 22 yards. And not only was he ineffective, but at times he was downright destructive. On his first target of the game, he grabbed Marcus Peters' face mask and got flagged 15 yards, and his team went into a first and 29 situation. And then later, he caught a short pass to the right. You think he's going to get things going, but he had stepped out of bounds first. This guy... uh, deserved all of the praise and fame and stardom that he had with the Giants, but it felt like he was never happy there. He didn't like the spotlight. He didn't like the cameras. It was all too much. And I wonder, Fitz, now if he misses that very steady hand of Eli Manning, who, while he was not always great, was certainly more consistent than Baker Mayfield and was a guy who was willing to sit back and let OBJ take all of the spotlight. Now, not only does he have a quarterback in Baker who steals a lot of the shine and endorsement money, but he also can't establish himself and hasn't over the course of now last year and the beginning of this year been able to be the star we all remember. And for that, OBJ is doing the Monday walk of shame. Uh, look, I like that a lot, and that's a great call by you. And, and frankly, you could have put the entire Browns team on it. You mentioned earlier some of the predictions we made. If you missed them, check them out on the podcast. You should rate, subscribe, review, listen to the podcast every day. We even give you some exclusive content. But we did that on Friday, and I felt good about a lot of my predictions over the course of the weekend, Sarah, but not about the Browns one because I thought that they'd take a step forward and I said some positive things and then I watched Baker Mayfield and thought man this just doesn't look doesn't look right and and if you're the Browns at some point you can only try so many coaches before you have to look around and say maybe it's more than that now it's early in the season by the way it's right I was gonna say there's time I want to give Stefanski a chance to turn things around I want to give them a chance to learn a new offense with the new coach we've said all along it's going to be the hardest for those teams to get started this year but yeah, Wolf. I mean, and some of the plays in that game, you're like, oh, Browns, again, so early? What? Why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, and again, my continual reminder, it doesn't make for great radio or TV to treat it this way, but I genuinely believe you need three years to figure out if you have your quarterback. It takes mm. three years to get enough body of work. So uh, we'll stick with it. I'll go with the walk of shame here. Remember, you can tweet us at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. Let us know who broke your heart and why over the course of the weekend. I'm going to go to the city of Las Vegas, really, but not... Not in the way you think. Not not because of the Raiders, as that obviously was amazing for me. No, the gambling industry, uh, I, I have a little bit of a beef with gambling in general from the weekend for one particular reason around college football. 
Pitt played Austin P. Now, I'm playing is really generous. Pitt smacked around Austin P by a final score of 55 to nothing. This was a big point spread in the 20s going in anyway. So, you know, I expected Pitt would win big. The problem is at halftime, they decided, both teams mutually decided, that they would shorten the quarters in the second half to 10 minutes apiece. As a result of that shortening, the game was no longer long enough to qualify for the minimum amount of time played for action to be considered. So even though Pittsburgh covered by a wide margin, and it wasn't even close, even though they'd covered the point spread by the half, because the game was shortened, all the Vegas action was null and void. Nobody got paid on a blowout game. That is just, if I had put my life savings on Pitt to cover at that point, and I watch them win 55 nothing, and I find out I don't get paid on a technicality, that's the type of thing that would make my cheap behind never place a bet again, Sarah. <laughs> That's brutal. Also, I feel like at some level, like maybe in, in Little League baseball or, you know, high school maybe, but when you get to collegiate sports, I don't care who's playing, that sort of slaughter rule where like, let's just shorten the game. That's embarrassing. Also, I, I believe it's pronounced Austin Paella. Just for next time. <laughs> just I know it looks, it's spelled funny. Oh, so that, just, is, yeah. that is that is well played by you. All Keep right, so uh, as we do walk a shame, we also want to do stake disclaim. We want to give some people some positives, Sarah, and I'll go first here. Uh, I've got a, uh, by the way, quick update on the game. We have a 41-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton from Daniel Jones. As a result, we have touchdown Giants on what was a pretty pass to a very wide open receiver on a post there. So a big touchdown for the Giants. They take a 10-3 lead on Monday Night Football. So uh, we're doing walk of shame, stake disclaim. We're giving a little bit of positive. I'm going to give some positive to the Washington football team, which is not something we've done a lot of on this show. But I do remember after uh, after the draft when we were all talking about what to expect from Washington. I think the one thing we saw is that when they went out and drafted Chase Young, they were making a commitment that they were going to try to build in the mold of the 49ers, in my mind. A defensive line that can get after anybody. And uh, Sweat was great for them last year. I expected this D-line to be able to get after the quarterback. I felt dumb about that until about halftime when suddenly the Redskins, sorry, Washington football team forced a habit when they woke up and, uh, and they came alive. So they get the big win, but in the process of getting the big win, they also get eight sacks and that was just a statement from a Washington defensive line that I think is going to be stout all year and a reason to actually root for this Washington football team if you're a fan also how cool is it to hear that Dwayne Haskins was giving a spirited halftime speech with Ron Rivera absent getting uh I think some some IV or some oxygen or something uh as as he's going through treatment for cancer uh, he's getting the IV just to be safe, and Haskins is hyping up the squad. Young gun. I like that. I like that from a youngster. Uh, so I some things to feel good about in Washington. There are very few fits. This has been quite an offseason. Yeah. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, mine goes out to someone who is also part of a team that doesn't have a lot to be excited about after a terrible offseason. In fact, most are convinced the team is tanking for Trevor, and they still came out with a win because of Gardner Minshew. My guy. And if you don't know why, go back and find last year's Around the Horn Halloween episode and try to figure out who the chick is in the jorts and the mustache, because it's me. Uh, in week one, Gardner Minshew, 19 of 20, 173 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers, 142.3 passer rating, first quarterback in NFL history to throw for at least three touchdowns and complete at least 95% of his passes on kickoff weekend. Jacksonville beats the Colts. And he had a touchdown in each of their red zone trips. This is a guy, Fitz, who apparently has not been given the updated plan on the season where yeah. they're supposed to just suck because he came out with his uh, 
Crown Royal in his waistband, and he was ready to go. Oh, my God. You are so right. And by the way, this I learned a valuable lesson. I was reminded of a valuable lesson in week one, but the opposite way of usual. I have had some harsh things to say about what I think of Phillip Rivers as the quarterback for the Colts mm. and why I think particularly he's a liability for a good team. And I've, I've made that very clear. So at halftime, I did a mea culpa. I went out to Twitter and I said, look, I've said some harsh things. I think I was wrong. Look at how great he looks. Look at how great the Colts look. Of course, it's against the Jags. But you. yeah. And then next thing you know, Gardner Minshew's like, hold my crown royal and uh, I'm going to show everybody how it's done. So I learned I'm not going to say my bad anymore until I absolutely have to. Like that's the valuable life lesson. Uh, surprised. Really surprised to see the Colts lose that game. But well, even that's more surprised. Come up- just a little later in the show when I do a, a minute-long rant of all the things from this weekend that I just need to get out of my system. Trust me, that's coming up. Also, we're getting a lot of good Walk of Shame contestants from Twitter. Uh, Logan Stumbo, this one's great. The Citadel punter, I don't know if you saw this. His kick wasn't blocked, and he still didn't make it out of the end zone, and it was returned zero yards for a touchdown. Oh, that's remarkable. Okay, coming up next, it's a double header for college football. For college football. For Monday Night Football, we'll preview game two next. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Honestly, after the beating the Jets put on you, I can't expect your brain to work well enough to find the songs I'm looking for. I just want you to stay stay, stay in there and, and, and stick with it, buddy. It's going to get, well, it's not going to get better. It's probably not going to get better. I should just move on. It's not going to get better. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Fitz, uh, we got some more NFL to get to. We've been plugging along with tonight's games, but I want to get back to some of the weekend because there was so much to get to, including some big picture stuff. Um, but first, I, I feel like I need to demand a minute from you. Will you allow me a minute to go over a couple of things that I think need to be mentioned? Well, A, we're friends, so I would do that anyway. But B, <laughs> you're smarter than I am, you're tougher than I am, and you're better at most things in life than I am. So even if I said no, you could still take That's it. So, so true. So you That's know so what true. I'm going to do? I'm going to say yes and act like I'm taking the high ground here. Go for it, Sarah. Get your minute off your chest. Okay, yeah, there's a ton of NFL action, so little time. So uh, go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock. Here's a minute of stuff that's worth talking about. It's sort of a speed round. Let's go. What if Phillip Rivers was the curse all along? Because the Chargers won a tight game against the Bengals, just the kind they always used to lose, and then the Colts, now led by the aforementioned curse Phillip Rivers, had to watch as he got down 24-20 and then forced a third down pass into coverage where it was picked off. Same quarterback, same desperate losing drive. New city, I think it was Rivers all along. Touchbacks remain the worst rule in football. Don't at me. That's truth. Ezekiel Elliott's new tattoo. Uh, You think when you're 50-something and that looks less like a six-pack and more like a beer gut, you're going to be happy with it? It says, feed me on his stomach. You're shirtless at a family. You know what? Actually, I changed my mind. Come to think of it, if he stays in shape, it's ironic. Like, I'm so trim. I'm hungry. Give me some food. Feed me. If he gets fat, then it's funny because then he's a fat old man at a barbecue and he's, you know, stuffing burgers into his belly and it says, feed me on it. So I apologize, Zeke, you're on to something. Another fourth quarter loss for the Lions, and I saw this stat. The Lions fired Jim Caldwell for going 9-7. and seven. Matt Patricia took over. He's 9-23-1. and one. That is a very hot seat. This is going to be a really weird se- season, and, and I got two exhibits. Shoot. Exhibit one. Time's up, but I'm going to say it anyway. Exhibit one. There was a potential elimination game in the NBA in the middle of NFL week one. NBA playoffs at the same time as the NFL will never not be weird. Shout out to Kevin Harlan calling one the night before and the next the next afternoon. Two, exhibit two of a weird season, an actual 2020 problem addressed by at Chris Burke NFL. He said, I can't believe this is a real sentence I have to write, but I've been assured that the Lions are working with Fox to ensure that the virtual fans do not block the on-screen visibility of the fan cutouts. 
That's 2020 for you, Fitz. I was well done and well stated. And by the way, I might need more than a minute. You, you know, you, <laughs> Mitchell tried to cut you off. By the way, there was a little bit of revenge action happening there. I, for you know, these are the moments where just our radio. I just slid away from the microphone. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, nah, uh, I'm not cutting. She's on a roll. I'm not cutting her off. <laughs> uh, and by the way, you were so right about. Uh, I, I keep looking at this, tearing my hair out. I think the NBA playoff hill that I continue to die on is that somehow the Nuggets never get enough love no matter what's happening. So right. it just felt like burying their game like on the middle Friday of Friday news dump. Yeah, it's like, it hey was, guys, yeah. Nuggets are playing over here. Cool. Great. On the first Sunday. like, And, and what I don't understand about that is they had so much opportunity. We're used to weird tip-off times. Couldn't they have put that at like 8 a.m. and we'd have watched it? They could have put it at yeah. 9 at night and we'd have watched it. But you put it in the middle of all of the NFL action and I'm like, oh, what are we thinking? Yeah, the Clippers are happy. That they keep blowing these sixteen-point leads and no one's really watching. But game seven tomorrow, there'll be there'll be some eyes on that. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of uh, the very weird twenty twenty parts of this season, including the idea that some v- virtual fans might block the visual of the cardboard cutouts people paid for. Which okay, things have gotten a little bit too weird. Um, I I was looking at the 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 sound information. I did not know this fits, and I I think probably a lot of people didn't know this was not just generic sound being pumped into the games. They actually used old NFL film sound taken from similar situations in a previous game with the same fan base in the same stadium. So if it was fourth and one for the Jets and they were going for it, they would find they would have a fourth and one going for it situation for a previous game and, you know, cheer if they get the completion and run it. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, some approximations happening at some times. But I thought that was more endearing to me as I was listening than just the idea of a random person hitting either like mild cheer, big cheer. Mild boo, spattering of applause, right? I thought it was cool how they tried to actually get some of those situations. Well, and was there like a computer handling the whole algorithm or even within that, was there a person <laughs> pressing the button? I don't because know. there were a couple of times that I got weird boos and I was looking at it <laughs> thinking, okay, I forgive it because how many times have you sat there and you're like, oh God, I got to press which button here? Wait, that's the boo button. That's the cheer really loud button. Like I'd have to put them very far away in a way that I wouldn't accidentally hit the wrong one, which means then I'd be late getting to the button. And all of a sudden, you'd have a random boo, and it's like, sorry, guys, I meant that for the last play. It took me a second to get to the right keypad. Like, I, I, I was stressed for whoever had to handle the no sound, kidding. but I loved it. Like, that's well, the one thing that I, I will say stood out because the NFL broadcast to me felt normal, and I loved every second of that. Yeah, I, we, I will say that when we were talking about what they were going to do pre teams being back in action, so this summer, mid, like, will sports ever come back? We were joking about how stressful it would be if someone goes down with a horrific injury and you hit the wrong button, and it's just, yeah! So I think there's a lot of room for things to go terribly wrong. What I wanted is later in the season when people start start calling for new quarterbacks and stuff, do you have to go back and find, you know, the fans crying out for a change? Like, can we get that famous Jets? Like, Tebow, save us! Right? The butt fumble game sound. Oh, my God. Do, are we going to go back and find actual? I love it. Uh, Bill and, Belichick. And also, real quick, how, how many times did they have to re-record the L.A. fans just to make it sound like there were actually people? Oh, oh no, that'll be for the Chargers oh. next week. Sorry, not for the Rams. That'll be for the Chargers say, next week. And and my beloved Raiders next week, like, it's just, just silence because there's never been fans in that building. That's so true. I guess they're going to have to find those Oakland fans and, and, and approximate. Uh, Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Patriots, had this to say about what it was like to play without fans. Bill, you are obviously someone who has seen a lot of football in your day, been involved in a lot of games. What was the atmosphere like in the stadium without fans there? Can you compare it to anything else that you've experienced uh, in your football life? Practice. 
<laughs> the most Belichick answer ever. Practice. Oh, man. It was like practice. Also, Fitz, something that stood out to me, I saw Adam Schefter tweet this out before the game started. After testing yesterday, all 3,600 players and team personnel and another 1,400 game day assistants all cleared for today's games, a remarkable feat for the league and its players. And it is. The number of players and coaches and staff and people that have to go into a weekend of Sunday NFL for all of them to stay healthy and available, or at least all the ones that they needed, is remarkable. Yeah, and my eyes are going to be on what happens over the next uh, 72 hours, right? Now that everybody's returning from traveling mm-hmm. for the first time, I'm really interested to see if they can get those same great results. Because that's where the proof will be for everybody as they try and figure out how, to, how well this can, can sustain. And speaking of sustaining, there's already stories about how they're keeping on coaches not wearing their masks correctly during games. I know you were not loving people wearing they look like chin, they're chin straps. straps. They're, they're like, chin straps. Like, like well, beard masks. <laughs> and there's this moment where I'm like, hey, John Gruden, two rules. One, cover your face. Number two, keep the hat on. Like, I'm yeah. just letting you know the hair's gone. But keep the face covered. Like, it seems like a simple. And, and they're always protecting their face anyway when they make play calls. Yeah. This should make sense to everybody. I mean, Andy Reid was on to something and we made fun of it. This was Straight Talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, a little more good take, hot take from week one of the NFL. A little earlier in the show, we did a little good take or hot take. This is the perfect exercise for an overreaction Monday. We had our first full week of uh, Sunday football, NFL, and there's a lot of people talking fits today, giving in their takes about whether teams are uh, destined to be great or otherwise, whether players have taken steps forwards or backwards. So we're going to decide if these are good takes or hot takes. Let's just start with the Jets because we had so much fun with them in that last segment, remembering, you know, all the good stuff like the butt fumble and, you know, Tebow and everything else. There's some pretty fiery sound from a couple guys. Let's start with someone who thinks uh, let's give them a little more time with Adam Gase. That's Mike Tannenbaum on KJZ this morning. They looked poor yesterday. I mean, going into the game yesterday, you would say Jacksonville was the worst team on paper. I thought the Jets looked as bad as any team so far in terms of in week one's performance. But if we're going to be patient, if we want to say that, hey, Sam Darnold didn't have a full year, after what happened last year with Mono and everything else, then we should give it a little bit more time here. But Sam Darnold should, and that offense should play better ASAP. So Fitz, I remind you, that was the good side of things. Uh, the one where they said they played as badly as anyone in the entire league. Uh, this is the critical one. Mike Greenberg, uh, Greeny with Mike Greenberg today. He's regressing. He literally went back to the first play of his NFL career yesterday. Because his genius offensive guru of a quarterback coach doesn't have the first clue what he's doing. So I put almost everything about the Jet debacle of yesterday on the coach. And there was no question in my mind that the organization is just wasting its time until they make a change. Okay, so Sam Darnold back to day one of his career, and it's all Gase's fault. Gase, not going to make it past the first... Eight weeks of the season. Good take or hot take? That's good take. I don't think Gase makes it past the first eight weeks of the season, but I think Greeny's take is a hot take. Can I have a split answer here? Absolutely. The, I think it's your it, show too. It, sometimes. It, well, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, Adam Gase absolutely, uh, I think, is going to lose his job this year. And I, I, as I've said a million times, I don't know how he got hired in the first place because he turned Miami into a dumpster fire. That being said. 
I think we're forgetting Sam Darnold is a lot like who he was in college. I mean, he took a step back in many statistical ways going into his last year at USC. I mean, you start to think about who he was. His completion percentage went down when he uh, his last year. His test, his touchdowns went down. His interceptions went up. He is an interception-prone quarterback that makes some dumb plays throughout the course of his college career. That is sort of that in the NFL. Like, I, I, I just I think we've forgotten the the full body of work for Sam Donald starts at USC, and he's sort of proven who he is. By the way, if you want to blame how Adam Gase got the job, uh, either with the Jets or in Miami, you can blame Jay Cutler because he's one of the few coaches that got the best out of Cutler, and I think that has earned him the benefit of the doubt in a couple places now. I don't think that benefit will extend beyond this particular tenure with the Jets. I agree with you. Darnold has has his own issues, but so much of it is tied to Gase. I don't think he's uh, long for the job. Moving on, the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, a team that you were not particularly hot on when we did our predictions last week. Uh, Have you changed your mind? Is this more than just one good game from Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, or are the Cardinals actually good? Yeah, so I'm going to call my own uh, mistake last week because I think not being uh, not being high on the Cardinals may have been my hot take. If there's anything <laughs> that I took away from week one, I really genuinely believe, Sarah, that having an entire offseason to prep for Kyler Murray and having an entire offseason to prep for Cliff Kingsbury was going to prep the rest of the league on how to handle it. Instead, they went up against what I still think is one of the most talented and best defenses in the NFL, and Kyler Murray still got his, and he looked incredible doing it. So, to me, if there was any big proof that we got out of week one for the Cardinals, is that my assumption that the rest of the league would catch up was a hot take. In fact, it may just be that the Cardinals are doing something special that is going to work for them. Yeah, I don't think they're a team that's in the playoffs this year. Uh, That is just a really tough division, uh, a beefy division. And I I believe I have all three of the other teams in the NFC West making it uh, on two wild cards and obviously a division winner. So uh, I don't see the Cardinals making the postseason, but This is a glimpse into their future, and Kyler Murray is so fun to watch. DeAndre Hopkins is going to feast, and they're just going to be a really fun team that's given a lot of other teams fits. They're going to make other teams work really hard. I I, I think this is more of an anomaly. I don't think they're going to be beating 49ers-like teams all season long, but, I mean, uh, somebody still got Larry Fitzgerald out there running around and getting it done, and uh, this Cardinals team will at least be uh, very fun, more than I expected to see from them. In week one. On the other side, the Cowboys, a team that we always expect to see a fair amount from, especially early on uh, when you've got the kind of continuity of of quality talent that they had. Um, Despite having a new coach, I think everybody thought that there would be some magical door unlocked because of McCarthy. And instead, same old, same old. Here's Mike Greenberg again on Greeny. The Cowboys offense doesn't look any better than it did last year. This was exactly the script. Cowboys on the road in a big game and road seems to mean nothing now because there's no one in the building. But Cowboys on the road in, in a, you know, a Sunday night game against the Rams, opening up their new stadium and everything else. Rams are going to be, I think, better than most people think. They have good receivers. And the Cowboys score 17 points. It was the story of the entire season last year. You just put Jason Garrett on the sideline, you wouldn't have known that th- that entire year had gone by since last season. Same exact Cowboys. Okay, Fitz, is that a hot take that it's the same exact product as last year? No, I think that's actually a, the right take by Greeny. And, you know, I said on, on Friday with you that I thought that the Cowboys would lose this game and the Rams would win it because I'm higher on the Rams and 
there is a little bit of an adjustment. But Kellen Moore remained as the offensive coordinator, so I at least expected some level of explosiveness. And instead, what we saw was the game plan that they came in with, which was essentially, hey, I'll let Amari Cooper catch as many passes as possible. They just won't be for more than eight or nine yards per catch. We're going we're gonna to basically minimize that, and we're going to just keep the game, the receivers, in front of us. It worked, and, and so that's concerning to me because there should have been a higher level of explosiveness from an offense that we continually, every single year, talk about how stinking talented they are. So uh, so what? Now what? You know, so you're, you're talented and you're, you're great on paper. It's got to turn into something more than that. The fact that it didn't from a continuing, from continuity in offense to me is concerning. I agree with you. I do think uh, we are going to need to see something better and quick in order to believe that this team is as good on the field as they are on paper. I will say I did not have any issue with McCarthy's call there when he elected to go for it on fourth instead of taking the field goal. You're at the 11. There's tons of time left. You have a lot of ability later in the game to kick from much further out than the 11. You were in a good spot to try to punch in a touchdown there. You show your offense that you have faith in them. You give them a little freedom to work. It just didn't work out. And when a judgment call like that doesn't work out, you're tempted to criticize it. I would let people know that they should look at the statistics on projected win based on whether they went for it there or kicked 47.4% if they kicked 47.2% if they went for it. So uh, going by the numbers, it was a, it was a good move. It just didn't work out that time. And that's going to happen sometimes. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, a little good take or hot take after week one in the NFL uh, is 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 Joe Burrow showing us the start of something great, or did the way that Cincinnati Bengals team still lost, uh, still uh, lost in that game, does that tell you more about it's going to be same old, same old in Cincy? You know, I'm such a believer in Joe Burrow. Like I, I keep saying this, I don't think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be spectacular. And uh, when when Joe Burrow came out of that le- last season, I, I said at the time uh, with LSU, I don't know why we're not talking about him the same way we talk about Andrew Luck. I think he's going to be that good. And so uh, the fact that Burrow sort of had that swagger is amazing. But the fact that the Bengals still bengled is at the same time <laughs> heartbreaking. He's got to find a way to change them and not let that them change him. And that may sound cliche, but it's it's tougher to, to do than we think. So I'm a massive believer in Joe Burrow. And I think by the year, the end of the year, the Bengals are going to be a really tough out. Yeah, I'm just really excited for people, our guy Jordan Cornette being one of them, who are Bengals fans. I would love to feel whatever it is they're feeling right now about the future of their team because of this guy. I think he is the real deal. He made a couple mistakes, but this is his first pro game. And he looked fantastic at a number of points. You look beyond those mistakes. You look at the ways he connected with his guys, the way his, his, his just body movement, his confidence, everything he brought to the field was really impressive for a guy who didn't have any preseason games just to get the jitters outfits, just to, to get in full uniform, show up on a field and line up against an opposite team. To have none of that and to still come out and do what he did was really remarkable. But again, you saw him sort of gazing up after the missed a gimme of a field goal, oh, God. like thinking – what just happened? And I wanted to say, yeah, welcome to Cincinnati, Rook. Uh, this is kind of <laughs> how things go there, but you're going to help turn things around.